Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Discover More, where we strive to accelerate the learning process together through intentional dialogues. My name is Benoit. And my name is Aiden. This podcast was built on the foundation of approachable guests, synthesized experiences, and relatable lessons that will help you grow throughout your journey. Thank you for tuning in this week. We hope you enjoy and continue to discover more. But at that time, I think at my level of consciousness, I was at a place where I still didn't value my education because I didn't value my life as much. The reality for a lot of young black Americans from, you know, low income backgrounds who live in poverty. Once you reach your 16th birthday, it's almost like a blessing because you can't really see past that. You can't even see what a life as an adult would look like. And for the majority of my life, it's kind of like I was just living for the day. So Monte, off the mic, you told us a little brief background about your upbringings and your backgrounds, uh, not only as a black man, but as Monte Fowler. Mm -hmm. You told us some pretty wild story about your upbringings, right? Yeah. So would you mind sharing that uh, to the audiences? Sure. Um, as I mentioned previously, I was raised by my grandmother. You know, we grew up a low income, but I did have a very uh, tumultuous childhood. I think any childhood that grows up without their parents, their biological parents. So my grandmother tried as best as she could and she did what she thought was best for me at all times. So what that means is trying to put me in the best schools, trying to put me into church because Christianity is a, a huge facet of our culture. I just felt like my grandmother, uh, she immersed me into a lot of things where I didn't have a choice. And my culture is like an authoritarian type of child rearing where it's pretty much no pushback. It's like what your parent says goes. So I was in church almost maybe three to four days a week through Bible study, singing on the choir, being the usher in the church, men's ministry, going on retreats and stuff like that. And at a certain point, I began to just hate it. And, you know, I, I started to rebel. And it started as early as like middle school on up to high school. As I mentioned briefly, my neighborhood was plagued by violence, uh, exposure to drugs, um, poor schools. So through my church, my grandmother met my pastor. So she thought it would be a good idea after I got to fifth grade, which I'll be going to middle school for me to go to a charter school downtown to give me better opportunities. So my pastor was on the board. So he got me into a school called Math, Civics and Sciences downtown Philly. It's right across the street from the school district. So I went there for fifth grade. This was different. We had to wear like suits and ties and stuff like that and it wasn't really my scene I didn't really fit in with the other kids so I was kicked out of the school by seventh grade for just like I think I was going through like an identity crisis it was just like a weird time for me just trying to assert my independence but also rebel from my grandma's authority because she wouldn't let me like go outside or leave from the block to go play like other kids so I guess that was my way of asserting my independence and just trying to find myself so after this time, I would say this is where my life started to change, where I was forced to go to my neighborhood school, which is a school called George Warren Pepper. And this is where I felt like I got my dose of reality. I realized that I wasn't as bad as I thought anymore, where I was surrounded by kids that were like the real bullies. And like in this school, even the bullies had a bully that they had to respond to. <laughs> so this and I just started to be more intentional about my education, but also just trying to balance my social life, I've always been blessed with the gift of gab, so I could always talk myself out of situations, whether it be with teachers or a bully and stuff like that. 
So I, I never indulged in fights and stuff once I got to that school. I pretty much just tried to do sports and use sports as a tool to get myself out of my neighborhood because I don't want to be in this neighborhood forever. I tried like every sport in middle school. I tried baseball, tennis, track, basketball, football. So ultimately I was able to play basketball in college, but in middle school tennis was my best sport, <laughs> surprisingly. <laughs> so I went to Motivation High School and this was a pretty good uh, academically prestigious high school. It was very small, about 300 students. And I did a lot of growing here. This is where I really found my passion for basketball. I still was an average student, but at that time, I think at my level of consciousness, I was at a place where I still didn't value my education because I didn't value my life as much. The reality for a lot of young black Americans from you know low-income backgrounds who live in poverty, once you reach your 16th birthday, it's almost like a blessing because you can't really see past that. You can't even see what a life as an adult would look like. And for the majority of my life, it's kind of like I was just living for the day or living for the next day because I had seen so many of my friends just become victims to, you know, violence, gang violence or the, the criminal justice system and become incarcerated. So I just was very intentional about playing basketball. And that's where I started to find my first mentors outside of my home. And a few guys really took an interest in me and you know, they always told me that they believed in me and they saw something greater than me and that I wasn't like the other kids. I don't know what they saw in me or what they meant, but I kind of just rolled with it. And my behavior was, um, it wasn't the best. That was like my contract. Like my aunt used to tell all my basketball coaches, like he can't play if he doesn't behave. And I, I had grown to love basketball so much that I was like, okay, I can get average grades, but my behavior is a non-negotiable, so I have to behave. So that really kept me on the right track, and it really kept me off the streets, and I didn't do a lot of things that you know some of my friends or other kids in my neighborhood was doing. So at the time of graduation, a, a few schools, low-level schools like Division Three, Division Two schools were recruiting me to play basketball, like Rosemont College, Shippensburg University, but ultimately, none of them offered me a scholarship. So so I didn't have a scholarship to play basketball. I'm just working hard to make a name for myself. Eventually, I ended up making a team. I worked hard enough and I made the team. It was a Division II basketball team, and I was in a good place. I reached my dream. But me just being me, a kid from the inner city who had never been at, like, a big university, I had never saw, you know, this many, like, parties, this <laughs> many, like, girls. It was, like, a, a new world for me, so... My first semester, I got a girlfriend. She was a cheerleader for the team before I had made the basketball team. So I pretty much immersed myself into her. And doing that, I feel like I never gave my chance, myself the chance to get the full college experience in terms of just going to parties, just having fun and stuff like that. So I, I was in a dilemma. I was working hard with basketball and I had this girl, but it seemed like I had kind of did everything too early. I, I told the girl, I was like, you know, um, I really just want to focus on basketball and get myself together academically. But in reality, I really just wanted to just have fun and just wallow in college. <laughs> yeah. So I ended up doing that and, you know, word got back to her. It's a small school and an uh, exchange happened between me and her that ultimately, looking back, it was one of the, the worst things that happened to me. But it also was one of the best things that happened to me because it changed the trajectory of my entire life. You know, she ended up having relations with one of my teammates at the time when I had just made the team. And it, it really broke my spirit in a sense. So I stopped playing basketball. I, 
I gave up everything. I just quit the basketball team because I couldn't focus because this girl, she had broke my heart so bad that it just made me lose all my passion and I was depressed. I skipped the important part of this story too. When I was home, my grandmother kept telling me like, I don't know why you choose to go to, to this new school. I don't know how you're gonna pay for it. My grandmother doesn't work. So she kept telling me like, apply for scholarships, apply for scholarships, apply for scholarships. One day I just went on the Philadelphia Foundation's website. I typed literally on Google, Philadelphia-based scholarships, and a bunch of them came up and I just applied for as many as I could one day. So I went off to school that day, not knowing how I was gonna pay for school. I just was gonna do what I had, was always accustomed to doing, taking out loans. So when I got to the school, Millersville, I had found out that I got one of the scholarships and we did like a Skype interview. I won first place and ultimately that paid for my year of school there in addition to the FIA grant and the other scholarships that I had. I think it was like a break coming up and the scholarship foundation had an event in Philly for all of the recipients. When I got to the event at the West End downtown, the CEO of the foundation, she stopped me in my tracks. She was like, are you DeMonte? And I was like, yes. And she was like, well, your application stood out so strongly and I would love to talk to you further. Okay, I didn't really think anything of it. I just went about the day. So I'm at Millersville, but I'm in this room with students from the likes of Syracuse University, Wake Forest University, UC Berkeley, just some of the top universities across the United States. At the end of the day, I was meeting everybody and I was like, this is cool, like this is a good feeling. Like I've never been around so many like-minded peers. I was always from my neighborhood. I'm always like the one who quote unquote made it out in a sense. That was like a huge turning point in my life. So that summer I went to the woman's office and you know, uh, I basically talked to her, told her my story and stuff like that. And you know, she was like, I wanna offer you an internship. This was my first internship that I ever had. And basically I was just shadowing her company uh, shadow of the finance team, the graphic design team, and slowly but surely our relationship blossomed into a mentorship. Going back to the story of me and the relationship, I basically told my mentor, you know, what I was encountering, why I'd given up basketball and stuff like that. And she guided me to Temple University. She was basically like, I think you have a lot of potential. I don't know if you want to transfer again, but I think you could use a fresh start. I talked it over with my family. And I took that leap of faith and I went to Temple. By the time I had got to Temple, I had this scholarship that I got from that organization, but my grades were so good that I had accumulated so much academic scholarships that it was basically like I had a full ride to Temple. So I ended up, I still was focused on basketball. I tried out for the basketball team and I didn't make it. That was probably the best thing that ever happened to me because this was the first time in my life where I could find what I actually was interested in. I had so much newfound time on my hands outside of athletics. I'm like, yo, I can join clubs. I can be like a regular student. Once that happened, I just immersed myself into Temple. Everything that I could do, I tried to do it. And this is around the time. I had the idea of starting Project Pledge Philly, my nonprofit initiative, years ago. But I never had the time that I can just devote to it. So during my junior year, I had joined an organization called Smooth Strong Men Overcoming Obstacles Through Hard Work. It was a community service-based organization at Temple, and I had pitched my idea to them. So they basically helped me promote it and fundraise the event, and it just got so big. Like, my apartment, I had photos of it in my house. People were, like, bringing school supplies. Like, the Temple community really embraced me so much, and I had a GoFundMe link set up as well. 
I had raised like $5,000 in like two months and I got to pour all of that back into my community. So from that movement, I started to become very well known at Temple. I was like so well known that people thought I went there all four years by the time I graduated. So then my senior year came and I was like, okay, I want to like get better as a leader, but also as a public speaker. That was a huge goal of mine. Cause I feel like I always, I know how to speak, but I would always get nervous when I had to speak publicly. I needed to immerse myself into as many situations as possible where I'll have to speak in front of a lot of people. So I joined two student organizations. I was on the executive board of student government and also the organization Smooth, where I was the ambassador. And in student government, I was the director of local and community affairs. So I'm still doing Project Pledge. And basically, through student government, I was able to make connections with a lot of the schools in the area because that was a huge intention of mine just to give back to the North Philadelphia community. So I did a lot of work in that regard. And we did a lot of service in terms of like speaking at schools, organizing neighborhood cleanups, community forums to talk about certain things that were going on in our environment. And by the time I graduated, the organization was only on campus for three years. We won Organization of the Year from the university. And as we stated previously, I was one of 24 students out of the whole university to win a Diamond Award, which is the highest award that a student could receive. So I think my story speaks to a lack of options. It kind of comes full circle to what we were talking about in the first portion of this episode about a lot of kids that grew up in inner city, basketball players, well, athletes in general, rappers and drug dealers are who we glorify because they symbolize a way out. They symbolize hope. They symbolize success because they have the shiny things. They have the materials. They have the cars and stuff like that. We think those are the only ways that we can be successful. And that's the only way that we can make it out. Once I got that exposure that it was a big world outside of my neighborhood and that it was so many things that I could do to make an impact, but also find success, I took off running. That's what prompted the name of Project Pledge, because this was like my pledge to give back to my neighborhood and my community, but also my pledge to never give up on myself again, like I did with basketball. I basically gave up on my entire dream because I was heartbroken and you know I didn't have an outlet or anyone to speak to about it. I was just intentional about the name of Project Pledge. You know, I was like, it's a lot of kids that grew up just like me that don't know what it is that they want to do or how they want to contribute to the world. And, you know, I can do this through, you know, bringing enrichment, exposure and opportunities back to my neighborhood. So I told my partner, Tim, what can we do now with this platform or this organization? Um, we're both still trying to finish our studies, our academics. My, my partner goes to Delaware Valley University where he's studying accounting. You know, with the research that we have now, we could do a book drive, book bag drive and a community day where I bring, you know, a lot of my like minded peers who are in various different industries come back, let's give back. A lot of them had never done service like this before. And I brought them to the neighborhood and I wanted kids to see like, this guy is in accounting, this person is in the tech space, this person is in the nonprofit social work industry, this person is in psychology. And I think just having those conversations, it works wonders for children because you know what's out there now. You see people from your community and you know, this is tangible because DeMonte did it or Timothy did it or so-and-so. So I just was very intentional about my work in the community and giving back. And slowly but surely, I just built up this brand for being this person that just gives back to the community. So I knew that if I wanted to have a big impact on the city of Philadelphia after my studies, I need to make more connections in Philadelphia. So I thought Penn would be the perfect place for me because the wealth of resources and connections. So 
I went to Penn for my master's in social work and present day, I realized over the past year that I wanted to become an entrepreneur in addition to a community activist, if you might say. So me and two of my close friends have entered the real estate industry. We started our own business because we realized the lack of financial literacy, but also the lack of wealth in the black community. So our goal is to revitalize our neighborhood in Southwest Philadelphia within the same vein of what was occurring in Tulsa with the black, damn, it slipped my mind. Oh, Black Wall Street in uh, Tulsa. It was an area of very affluent black communities where black businesses were thriving and you know a lot of black people had opportunities. So just being intentional about that within what we're doing through real estate, we're not just looking to capitalize, we're looking to create opportunities and enrich the lives of people in our neighborhood through real estate. And also just using real estate as a tool for financial literacy so we can give back. Because in addition to having influence and a good network, you do have to have the financial backing to do anything that you would like to do. So we're hoping to use real estate as a gateway to whatever ventures that we would like to do to enrich our community. My partners are in the cyber security tech space and the corporate ladder. And, you know, my other partner with Project Pledge is in the accounting space, and I'm the bridge in terms of the community with the social work space. So combining that, their skills in terms of their business savvy and financial literacy and my community activism and my community acumen, bringing that together to enrich the lives of people in my neighborhood. So that's what I'm doing now. And through my YouTube channel, I try to use that for education as well as entertainment. So I just try to share some nuggets and gems of what helped me get get this far, but also share my journey. But also, I recognize that the average millionaire also has six streams of income. So I thought that I could use my experiences and influence or whatever, you know, to make a YouTube channel that I could get paid for. That could be another source of income that I could in turn use to better myself, but also fund my real estate deals, but also use to, you know, give back to my community. So I've just been real intentional about everything that I'm doing. And I feel like I have a vision and everything I'm doing is kind of in line with that. So thanks for sharing. That's quite a bit of a journey and story that I didn't expect. So thanks for sharing. Yeah, a couple of things come to mind and I want to highlight for the audience is that. So our first guest, Tu Fam, mm-hmm. who is a real estate investor. And of course, we all know that he retired at the age of 32 right. during pandemic this year. Mm-hmm. And I, I think he owns like nine properties. He has a lot of properties that work with Section 8 housing mm-hmm. and a lot of his core principles and his mission statement is also to give back to the community that mm-hmm. he grew up in. And I see a lot of similarities between you two. Of course, he is farther out into the journey than you are yeah. in terms of real estate, in terms of project pledge, in terms of giving back to the community that brewed you, right? Mm-hmm. But one biggest commonality that I see between you two and between a lot of the guests that we have on the show and I think just among a lot of high achievers is action, right? If you never took that action early into your youthful or college days to apply scholarships based on Philly and Google mm-hmm. University, you would have never met that CEO that right. gave you the internship, would have never gave you that bridge and that gateway into where you are now. Yeah. And all of your quote unquote success and all of your journey and all of your stories, they all came to fruition simply because that initial act of typing in scholarships based in Philly on Google University. And I, we see that with two, right? Two took a radical leave from his accounting journey, which mm-hmm. gave him the dream and the vision of retiring within five years. 
uh, that also happened in between Aiden's uh, pivot from EY and my pivot from management consulting uh, four or five years ago. Right. That's also a recurring theme for our project, passion project for this podcast. Mm-hmm. What do we mean by discover more podcasts? It's to discover more exposure. You didn't realize the t- potential that you had until yeah. you got to Temple, yeah. or actually, more accurately, until you met that CEO right. in a classroom with UC Berkeley grads, Wake Forest, all these prestigious or more prestigious mm-hmm. counterparts. Only, I think, with opportunities or with whatever they may be, only happen because of exposure. Yeah. And that's our intention with this passion project of ours is creating the foundation and the space to be exposed to more knowledge. The world is your oyster, but it only is your oyster if you have the intention to striving forward to learn more. Not to cut you off, I want to say that's funny because I always say like Temple was my playground. That's like where I really found myself because I had just took upon so many opportunities to just find myself. It almost was like I was making up for lost time in my childhood that I was just like, that was the hardest that I ever worked in my life. And going back to that exposure, like it just... It works miracles for a person, especially kids that grow up in underprivileged communities. It's like once you know what's out there, it's like open like a magic trick or something like that. It's like you just never stop working towards it. And, you know, a lot of kids that come from where I come from, they have that. They have the potential. They have the work ethic. They just need somebody to, you know, wrap their arm around them or put their hand on the back and say, I see you. And, you know, I'm going to roll with you to the end. And I think that speaks to the importance of mentorship because not only did I meet my mentor and the CEO, two was somebody that I met in a weird way by just being curious. We were just playing basketball together at Drexel. I had a membership there in the summertime, just working on my game. And two used to come every Saturday. So I just, you know, started the conversation with him like, "What's up, man? What do you do?" And he told me what he was doing. And I was young at the time, like nineteen. Two may have been like twenty six. He was telling me, like, yeah, man, I got this goal with real estate and, you know, I plan to retire by the time I'm 30 years old. And me, I never heard anything like that before. I'm like, man, this dude is just talking. Man. Yeah. <laughs> so it's funny that to come full circle five years later, I have, you know, completed my education. And he did exactly what he said he was going to do. But two is someone that I actually made a YouTube video about it. He never stopped reaching out to me at that day. I don't know what it is that he saw in me, but maybe it was just my eagerness to learn and that curiosity. He took advantage of that and he was like, you know, I'm going to help this kid. We connected via LinkedIn and, you know, he would always just check on me throughout the years. He was like, yo, I see you doing this or I see you furthering your education, man. This is my update on what I'm doing with real estate. And, you know, if you're still interested and I would love to help you when you get out of school. And he just broke down the importance of creating generational wealth and creating opportunities for yourself and for your family and how important that was. And it stuck with me. So when I was completing my education this year, I reached out to two because I underwent like a huge, I call it like my caterpillar phase. I underwent a huge growth year last year where I knew that anything that I wanted to do for myself in the future, I had to get my finances together and just undergo a lot of self-development. With that, it just came challenging my values, the things that I consume on a daily basis, types of people that I'm talking to and two is one of those people that definitely helped to steer me in the right direction before two I didn't really know how important credit was or even what went into your credit score or how how to save money or how to budget from month to month and two took the time out of his day 
multiple days to just sit down with me. The first time we were at a, a Dunkin' Donuts in my neighborhood, no lie, until the manager had to like kick us out. Like <laughs> I just had a notebook and I just was so hungry for knowledge and two just wanted to share everything that he knew to help me better myself. So I really appreciate that and I'm forever indebted to all the people that, you know, have poured into me along the journey. But I think for a lot of people, you just gotta be willing to learn, you know, get outside of your head and don't be afraid to fail. But a lot of people, especially kids where I come from, you know, they try to, you know, look cool. They think like it makes you a certain way to be vulnerable, to say that you don't know something or to ask a question. And I feel like that's probably one of my greatest gifts. Like, I'm not afraid to say, I don't know this information. You know, could you teach me or like, could you help me be better? I always just reached out. I'm like, this is what we're here to do. Like, we're nothing without each other. So I always was receptive to that mentorship. And that was a huge aspect of where I am today, too, has taken me to view his own properties, walk me through them from start to finish and told me everything. It's not a text or a call that has went unanswered. And that's, that goes for all of my mentors in my life. So I think, you know, mentorship, if I could leave the people with anything, you know, try to find a mentor. And if you don't know how to find a mentor, what you can do is just if there's anybody that you admire or that you respect, just start with that initial interaction, ask them out to coffee or out to lunch or just ask them for a 20 to maybe even a 15 to 20 minute phone call and, you know, have questions prepared. Do your research of that person that you admire and pick their brain and, you know, let them know of your goals and what you're working toward and see how you two could benefit one another along your journey. And then it's just naturally after that, you know, just updates, you know, reach out to them hey, this is what's going on with me. I did this. I noticed that you did this. Or even just to say, how are you? I think that goes a long way. And naturally that relationship will progress into, you know, a mentor to mentee relationship to where y'all can talk even outside of like a business relationship. Because the point where me and my mentor are now, I asked them how they're doing. What's going on with you? And I kind of feel like it's like a a friendship. So um, if I could leave the people with anything, you know, try to find a mentor or if you're in a position to be a mentor to someone you don't know how far that can go to impact and or change someone's life yeah one thousand percent the thing that comes to mind for me when you're talking about mentorship is and even just your entire upbringing of how much um difference there was from when you were growing up to when you graduated mm-hmm. Penn. but it's the idea that we're the product of our environment Right, and I think your story speaks to that so well because you were in so many different environments and even the three different colleges Mm -hmm. all embody like an entirely different Monte, right? Like you were kind of identified with the athlete Monte when Mm -hmm. you were your first two years and how that transitioned into Temple. Um, And I think that's kind of a message just across the board. It's like we need to create better environments for people to grow up in. And I can definitely see that as kind of like the ethos of your real estate ventures. You're yeah. trying to create an environment where people can learn and people can educate themselves, yes. succeed, get jobs. Sustainable um, black communities. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that's what we need in order for us to progress. Schools where students feel safe and that are conducive to learning, where they feel supported, they feel loved, they feel seen, they feel heard. That stuff can change a person's life. Having access to food regularly or not only meeting your basic needs, but having access to the things that you would like to do, like being able to take a trip or even knowing 
that, you know, University of Penn is a, a great school and that you have the capacity to go there. I could have always went to Penn from even when I was a kid. I just didn't know because it wasn't marketed to me and nobody looked me in my eye and told me, this is for you. Like, you can you can do this. But once those people came into my life and told me that for the first time, now I look at life like there's no limit to what I can do. A lot of people doubted me, I would say, when I told them that I was going to Penn. I think even some of my mentors weren't sure, but I'm just at a place in my life now where it's like, I'm just going better on myself every single time. Now that I know what I know, I'm like, I can do anything. And I, I, I try to pump that into a lot of kids. Of course, if you're going home and lights is off and you know you're seeing violence everywhere, you might not believe it. But, you know, just having somebody that looks like you that come from where you come from and they tell you, like, you can you can do this, like, and they guide you through it, like, it, it makes a, a big difference. But I think another testament is just, like, always learning and just always growing. I shouldn't talk to you a year from now, and I feel like you're the same, Aiden. You know, I feel like mm-hmm. we should, as humans, like, we should always be evolving, always making the most of our experiences, like, always meeting new people and, you know, just trying to get the most out of life, so... I call that just living an intentional life, and you know that's what I try to do now. Sounds like you also experienced numerous masterclass sessions by two. Uh, two is one <laughs> of the few people that I know could talk for ten hours straight. Uh, but for the audiences and the listeners who haven't had the opportunity to listen to his episode, he was our first guest, and he was one of the first people who believed in our vision and believed in this passion project. And he agreed upon to to share his beliefs to share how he was able to, you know, transfer and manifest his dream into fruition, right? And yeah, he has insane amount of golden nuggets and wisdom to share. And I think he embodies that growth mindset that we all share about growth work, right? He also believes in people. And so we are very grateful for two. And we are actually going to have him on as a guest again to discuss his post-retirement experience uh, later down the road. But yeah, aside from two's thing, I think the common thread that we see in all three of us and for two is affirmation right Mm -hmm. it's the power of affirmation we all know uh martin luther king's statement i believe Mm -hmm. and then that evolved into obama's yes i can i think your beliefs shape your actions Mm -hmm. in a both positive matter and a negative matter and i think it is up to you to either create that either a positive and virtuous cycle or a vicious cycle if you have positive and strong beliefs or if you have opportunities like you have that met numerous generous and awesome mentors mm-hmm. to instill that belief and that affirmed statement into you that Monte, I believe in you. Yeah. Yes, you can. That's going to shape your own beliefs and that's going to shape your own actions. Say, right. you know what? Fuck yeah. Yes, I can. You wanted to go to Penn, one of the best universities. You got into Penn. Yeah. Two wanted to retire by age 30. He did it. When I first heard that, I was like, what the fuck? Who is this guy? <laughs> like, what? Just because you work for a big four county, you think, think you could retire <laughs> by age 30? Like, he did it, right? He retired this year amid pandemic. So, yeah, I just wanted to highlight that for everyone that I think a core ethos, the core reason, the core attributing factor to your journey is that you first affirmed and then you had the actions to proceed to your beliefs. And that's what I think all of us should strive towards and embody that ourselves as well. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely have a question around that. I'm glad you brought up the affirmations and I guess that kind of combines with having a vision Mm -hmm. because even when you talk about two, five years ago, he told you five years, I'm going to be retired. Yeah. And you mentioned that you had the vision of going to Penn, but really like how did you come into having that vision or 
you mentioned the importance of mentorship and how someone saying, Monte, that you're seen. Monte, mm-hmm. you can do this. That's kind of like step one. But what role did you play in like developing that self-belief? How did that external someone just putting their ideas onto you, how did you kind of navigate that within yourself? Two could go over and talk to anybody, but mm-hmm. what about it resonated with you and inspired you to actually create that change? I think naturally I was always a self-motivated person. I always was very ambitious and driven. So I think once I got the mentors who started to believe in me and push me towards my goals, all I had to do was invest in myself. So self-investment is doing anything that to better yourself, whether that be reading, just seeking out information as a whole. So I think I just never stopped learning from that time period. I'm like, okay, these people see something in me. I obviously see, see something great or that something prosperous lies ahead. What can I do in my daily life to continue to work towards whatever that is? So I just started to just do a lot of goal setting and a lot of manifestation through writing. I find that putting things on paper and you know charting it out, it definitely helps you to become successful. Before I got to pen, I had a piece of paper on my room and my wall because I went to this leadership camp and they had this exercise where you write out your dreams, but then you write out the double agents. The double agents are basically the thoughts in your mind that stifle you from working towards your dreams. Well, my goal was to get to Penn, where I received a scholarship, I think like a year later from my time at Temple or whatever, and I have completed my studies, blah, blah, blah. In a nutshell, it was to go to Penn. On the other side, I had, I'm not smart enough to go to Penn. People from my community don't go to Penn. I don't have the finances to pay for my time at Penn and a bunch of other things. And looking at that every day and fully conceptualizing that thought, I realized that none of those things were true. And this was possible if I charted out some tangible steps that I could take. So when I I reached out to students that are at the university about their experience, I researched tirelessly about the school, what kind of courses they offered, what type of financial assistance, how this would translate to my career goals, just researching the school as a whole and seeing like if I would be a good fit for there, if I met the requirements and stuff like that. Then I uh, came to my letters of recommendation. I ended up networking to get all my letters of recommendation from Penn alumni. So just being real intentionally focused. And I was able to do that through LinkedIn. I was like a LinkedIn maven. I was obsessed. So I founded that. Um, it's an organization called Philadelphia Youth Network, PYN. Um, the CEO of that, Shakima Fulmore Townsend, she's an African-American woman. I was like, she went to Penn. So I want to do similar work like as her. So I'm like, I'm going to reach out to her. So I just sent her a, a very detailed message on LinkedIn of my goals and what I would like to do in my future. And she didn't reach out initially. I got her assistant and the assistant was just giving me like the runaround. But I just was so persistent that I was able to get in a room with her. I had like 10 questions and I was just taking note of everything that she said. But I think just that persistence, that's in line with that that self-investment and, you know, just wanting more for yourself and I think it's important to have a why that influences your work. So I knew my why was seeing the condition of my neighborhood and my community, but also just having that idea of what my grandmother came to this country for at 15 years old. That perspective is something that I carry with me that allows me to just continue to work hard because her parents sent her here by herself on a, you know, with Christian missionaries to create a better life for herself. So that just speaks to, you know, the type of opportunity that's here in this country and it's like, I have so much privilege and, you know, access to stuff that is like, why would I not take this opportunity to go as far as possible? 
that is my why. Like my grandmother taking that step to come to this country, being brave by herself. And now it's like, you know, her kids didn't reach the heights that they may have, may could have, but I'm still a product of her. I'm her offspring. So it's like, this is still better in my family. So just having that why and that has influenced a lot of my work um, and the things that I manifest for myself. Absolutely, man. Outside of giving back to the community, what do you think some of the biggest things that she's taught you or some of the biggest lessons that upbringing with her has taught you? I feel like it's all in line with giving back. She would take in like kids from my neighborhood. Like say if you got into an argument with your, your mom or something like that, she'd kick you out for the night. My grandmother would just open her doors. So I think that level of empathy, I think that's a sign of giving back. So I just to be an empathetic person, to be understanding that we all have battles that we're fighting and to meet people where they are. Um, so I think that's one of the most valuable lessons, but also just to be morally grounded. Uh, I just try to treat everybody the same. I feel like a lot of times because of the check marks, like going to pen or, you know, having nice shoes and cars and stuff like that, like people will treat you a certain way. And I just never been that type of person. Like I I feel like I just treat people as humans. Like it's, if I see a person and we're in a room and nobody's talking to them, I'm going to be the person to go talk to them. Like I don't care if they look weird, quote unquote, or whatever. That's just how my grandmother is. Like she just, she valued people and, you know, treating them well, make sure, making sure everybody was accounted for and that they felt special and seen. So I just try to embody that in my day-to-day being. So like if I'm walking down the street, I'll do something random. Like if I see an African-American woman, I'll just stop her and tell her like, ma'am, you look beautiful today. Or, you know, try to brighten her day or, hey, kid, nice shoes or something like that. Or just trying to, you know, be a good, striving to be better every single day. So I think that's a lot of what she is instilled in me. Absolutely. Being a light in the world yeah. comes to mind. And that almost comes full circle with a lot of the stuff we talked at the beginning of the conversation is that we're all team human at the end of the day, mm-hmm. right? Regardless of what accolades or what check marks, we're all team human. We're yep. all on the same team for the same purpose. Everyone wants to feel seen, wants to feel loved. Yep. And embodying that and kind of bringing that to all interactions is really where we have to move towards. Yeah. It's, it's imperative. Like, striving to be the best human that you can be and striving to make those human connections like i love meeting new people doing what you guys are doing like this is like amazing sharing stories but like that's the essence of humanity like aside from reproduction but like that's what we were here to do like to just meet as many people as possible gauge their stories and see how we can contribute to making this place you know more sustainable for all of us like yeah, it sounds like you're pretty popular among the ladies. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, all jokes aside, uh, yeah, a few things come to mind that I want to highlight for everyone. Uh, the power of an initiative, right? Mm-hmm. Because we all know that there is serendipity in life. But those serendipity wouldn't come to manifestation without that initiative, right? And you would have never met two. You would have never met the CEO of the scholarship mm-hmm. if you didn't take that action, if you didn't take that initiative. I myself is also a product and the beneficiary of the power of LinkedIn. I got my last job through LinkedIn mm-hmm. and I really wanted to become a program manager at my last nonprofit at CMAC. Mm-hmm. I sent them a resume about a month prior to my reach out. Didn't hear back. Mm-hmm. And I have a pretty good resume and I have a pretty good experience overall with education, with work exposure, but I didn't hear back. And I was like, huh, that's weird. I waited for a while and I said, fuck it. What do I have to lose? Right. Right. And of course, that's part of my 
personality and my nature. Sounds like you're also someone who's not afraid to talk to strangers. You're not afraid to compliment a stranger about her looks or her outlook, right? Mm -hmm. So that's definitely a leverage that we have in terms of our personality. But yeah, I reached out to one of the directors at the company who is also a Penn alum. Mm -hmm. And I went to Penn as well for master's. Almost 80% of the employees or high executive or leadership at my last agency were Penn alum. Mm -hmm. So I knew I had that leverage. I was like, oh, Penn, I got that. So it's about when you seek out mentorship, you gave out plenty of amazing advices, but it's finding the common threads. Because you want to dissipate the idea that you're otherism, right? Oh, you're a stranger. What do we have in common? Instead, you want to present the opportunity that, hey, actually, you may not know me or we may not know each other, but we have more similarities than we don't. So I used Penn as my leverage Mm -hmm. that I was like, hey, uh, this is who I am. I'd love to have a chat with you about an opportunity at CMAC. Mm-hmm. And I drove up from Pittsburgh, where I worked at the time, to Philadelphia, sat down and had interviews, and the rest was history, and I was able to get a job. But that LinkedIn, or my last job, would have never happened if I didn't have the audacity to dream or the audacity to reach out and make the initiative. And it's like what we talked about in our last part of the episode that it's the power of actions mm-hmm. like actions breeds actions and actions breeds beliefs and actions breed results so i just want to tell that for everyone that you monte have everything that you have now and you're in the transition in the process of growing more becoming better because you weren't afraid to take those initiative steps similarly we only have the audience that we have now we only have the deep privilege that we both share have these amazing and meaningful intentional conversations on Saturdays with strangers, with some of her peers, or with people that we look up to. Mm-hmm. Because we had the audacity to dream, we had the audacity to take that initiative to sit down and say, hey, what's a passion project we both share? What do we like to do? Mm-hmm. Learning, discovering, growing. And without that initiative, this would have never happened and this conversation would have never taken place. Right. And in retrospect, it's crazy once you take that as minute as micro of a step it may seem at the time, in retrospect, it could really, really breed amazing exceptional results, yeah. which is a testimony of all three of us for a two's retirement at age 32. And if you look at a lot of successful people, whether finance or social status, they did something in the early on that not many people may have. Yeah. What that makes me think about, too, is just another piece of advice is knowing you're starting five. That's what I call my friends. You should surround yourself with people who are a reflection of who you would like to be, but also uh, are a reflection of your shared values. Because I talked a lot about mentorship, but having a great group of friends that inspire me daily to become a better person, that also uplifted me and guided me to becoming the man and the person that I am today. So when you look to your left and your right, not only do you want to have people that can trust and that can go to bat for you, you also want to have people that can teach you and you know hold you accountable and you know y'all might have some uncomfortable moments but you know that it's like this person is aiding your growth like i think that's super important so just be willing to step outside of what you know people that look like you and come from where you come from might not always necessarily be able to help you get to that next phase or that next level in your life so just having that initiative going back to that to just go outside of your comfort zone, not being afraid to seek out uncharted territory. But, you know, having a good supporting cast like that always helps along the way. Like, I know 
you both have strengths in different areas. You might be the more vocal person, but he might be the more marketing savvy. And that goes together perfectly because that makes discover. You couldn't do one without the other. So, you know, just being intentional about friendships and, you know, those relate the types of relationships and connections that you're forming along the way that definitely aids the journey. Yeah, I think there's a, I mean, at this point, it's probably overly used cliche, but you're the average of the five people you spend the most time with. That sounds great, but it can be really, really fucking challenging. Like cutting Mm. out deep friends that have had decades through of your life, that's like a difficult thing for people to do because you have to weigh that Mm -hmm. loyalty to all the memories you guys have had together, whereas almost like that vision towards the future, like are they adding to or subtracting to the vision and what do I care about the vision? And that's something that I've definitely had challenges with, just kind of like knowing what areas I want my life to move towards. Like when I went to Penn State, Mm -hmm. like you, when you went to Millersville, like it's a magical place. You can drink booze every night. You can just party (laughs) out the ass. Like that's pretty much all I did. And I realized that served its purpose at the time, but I couldn't keep doing things like that or the cycle would just repeat itself. So you know you have to have those conversations or those uh excluding yourself from certain events which is challenging so i'm really curious as how that process has been for you are there any specific things that come to mind of relationships that you've had to move away from or even relationships that you've had to move towards more oh that's very tough and i feel like it's something that almost every successful person endures uh along their journey and along their progression but where i'm at now i learned that you have friends for different reasons. So I, I hold on to all my friends wherever they are. We might not be able to talk every day, but I know if I want to go party or something like that, or I just want to chill, I have that select group of friends. But if it's something I want to get done, the community call to action, I might call my friend Darius. And like I said, it's just about accepting people for where they are and just being intentional about, you know, these are my friends for this specific reason. And I feel like the people that truly love you and care about you, they'll understand the journey that you're on. And then you also have to be okay with that. Some people were just with you for a certain season in your life. And you know, some people are with you for a reason. So it can be hard to maneuver, but I think as long as you stay intentional about your path and just keeping an open line of communication, I think that goes a long way. Mm-hmm. Intention yeah. with the relationships. Yeah. For sure. I feel like I said that word 30 times today, but <laughs> it's super important. Yeah. yeah. No doubt. Yeah. This could have been a drinking game with take a shot every time you say intention. <laughs> yeah. But intention. Wouldn't have lasted long. Yeah. It would have been a very short episode. But intention was and still is and will always be the foundation for our, this episode is about discovering more together as a collective through intentional dialogues. Yeah. Right. And I love that you talked about seasons. So in our last episode, Aiden shared about his decision-making, some of the processes he's gone through to create that and ultimately come to the decision to transition in career-wise mm-hmm. mid-pandemic, which is also our experience as well. We both quit our jobs mid-pandemic, which many, many people will perceive as insane. Yeah. And But we were privileged and we were opportunist enough to create get a new job. And we're both in our third week, third and fourth week of our new job, mm-hmm. mid-pandemic, super grateful. But what Aiden shared during the last episode was everyone has, and what he experienced is a seasonal approach or mm-hmm. cyclical approach, right? Where he had seasons in his career mm-hmm. and it was coming to like a winter, like a stagnant point. And yeah. he wanted to experience spring or summer. Right. And same here, I was coming to a stagnant point 
and my most important God value or utmost priority point is growth. Right. Like I really, really, really evaluate growth. I'm 27 almost, and I don't really care as much of the vertical incline mm-hmm. because I know with my skill sets and my experience, it will come. Yeah. The money's going to come. I've never doubted my future quote unquote success. Mm-hmm. It's a very ambiguous and meta feeling, but since I was like 20 or 19, I've always known I was going to be successful. Right. And I don't know what that success is going to mean to me when I get there. It may mean financial success. It may mean social prestige, or it may mean in my passion statement, whatever that may be. But uh, I love you talked about that every friend serves different purposes. Mm-hmm. And that's something that I really struggled for the longest time because Aiden and myself, we like this was like a expedited, like we've heard the term fast friends, right? Like our friendship, I would consider at first like a fast friends. Yeah. What that means is you become friends extremely fast mm-hmm. in an expedited matter. We met 6 a.m. in the morning at a gym. Right. And then we started out like I'm the talker. So I initiated a conversation, spoke with him, asked for a spot, and we ended up talking about books, workouts. We talked about everything. Yeah. And then now we've known each other for. Well, over two years yeah still only like two years which is yeah, kind of crazy over two years and we often joke about that sometimes I talk to him and see him more than my girlfriend pre-COVID <laughs> and like, we're like the uh, professional or partnership couple yeah because I, I text him more I'm not a big texter I like to call mm-hmm. and I see him every week before moving in my girlfriend I saw her also like once a week because yeah. she was busy in med school so yeah I'll see Aiden a lot but yeah, I think it's having that intention as your foundation to help like suffer towards or strive towards something better. Yeah. Uh, it's going to be like a huge, important game changer. And one thing that you said was that you didn't have like a doubt of success in the future. And I heard this interesting definition of success of it was with the founder of Patron Tequila. Okay. And he said that the definition of success is doing what's right when no one else is looking. So like no matter what form that takes place in, no matter how much money it's for, but just doing the right thing and doing your best for whatever action that is or whatever that thing, that's success. I mean, he has the most ridiculous story. He was homeless twice, once after founding like a multi-million dollar company. He has some Newman hair products. Mm-hmm. I don't know if either of you guys have heard of him, but he founded that, which is a multi-million hair products company and Patron, and he was homeless in between the two. He was also a janitor, but he's like, no matter what I was doing, I was always just doing my best, as best as I could, no matter who was looking. So I think that is almost why you can know that we're going to be successful. Like, I know that you're going to be successful because we're all doing our absolute best, no matter who's looking. Right. I think uh, success, wealth, all of those concepts, it starts in the mind. Like, it's, I think it's more so a mentality versus this stature or this point that you reach in your life. I think it's just being intentional about every single day. I said it again, but you know, knowing that you're working towards being the best version of yourself, whether it be being a brother, being a son, uncle, whatever, family member, a friend, an employee, owner, a creative. It's, I think that's what success is and what true wealth is, is that it starts in the mind and you just trying to be the best version of yourself each day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Proving success inward, and then that's ultimately reflected in outward, right? Yeah, yeah. That's something two talks a lot about. Did you guys get into that? Yeah, you guys <laughs> but it's true. Like, it's almost wild. He'll like I've heard him explain certain situations that he's dealing with or navigating. I was like, how in the world are you dealing with mm-hmm. this much craziness going on? He's like, I've got my vision. I know that nothing can phase me. I, what's the saying? It says, I don't know how it will get done. I know it will get done. Right, and. 
that resonates with students studying for like long exams I'm sure basketball players like when you're running suicide you're like yo shit I don't know how I'm going to get through this but you know it will eventually it will come right. to an end um, and I think that's a you know a remarkable perspective that he's passed along so definitely grateful that we kind of both have had the opportunity to cross paths with him yeah definitely yeah that reminds me of also something that Gary V shares all the time I look up to him I used to listen to him religiously and I think he has that very blunt and predicative, honest approach for how successful he is. But something that he always harped on to millennials or to people in our generation is we get caught up in the minutia and we get disproportionately focused on the macros, mm -hmm. on the three-year plans, the big five-year plan, or where are we going to be in 10 years? Yeah. But then he's like, but at the same time, you're fucking watching Netflix every single time or every single night you're doing all this which is not conducive right. and it's not going to help attribute to your vision mm -hmm. so he said he said he, he doesn't know what he's going to do in three years or five years maybe he'll still be a CEO a, a public speaker whatever that may be but he believes and I think we all share that mindset and the mentality that he talked about just focus on the micro mm -hmm. focus on the day to day whatever you do on this very moment exert your best effort Right, and then all those micro day to day, week to week moments are going to create a momentum yep. that's going to help you establish that macro vision of yours. Right, in the last episode we talked about, I'm only gonna be at my current job for about a year, but some people could argue a year is a, such a short time. How are you gonna grow? How are you gonna learn? What are you doing for Makes a year? <laughs> but a year is a long time, right? Sure, it is relatively short period in terms of employment-wise, but I know with my growth mindset and with my inheritance principles and my values, I am going to optimize whatever the opportunities are. And I'm going to try my best to capitalize on that one year of time, which is going to help feed into my ecosystem and to my vision of what I want to become. So, yeah, I think it's more about on the day-to-day, -day, don't get caught up in that so much overwhelming about the macro vision all the time, but just focus on your due diligence, uh, whatever you're working on. And I think that speaks to your success, speaks to our success, and most importantly speaks to like two's retirement, right? Yeah. That's what he did. And he definitely has like a more meticulous approach because he used to be an accountant and I know Aiden is the one who's a lot more detailed oriented in our partnership. Mm -hmm. I'm more of the, like the go, go, go. No, but sometimes like we, him and I will get into like a minor conflict about I get too caught up in the go, go, go mode. And then he's more about let's have a structure, but right. having that balance, right? So it's whether like my approach or Aiden's approach or your approach or two's approach, it's having about that word of the episode intention as a foundation. And that's going to help carry your actions forward. Right. I guess as we're kind of coming to a close, I'd like to kind of pose up the question, do you have anything else you'd want to like talk about or things you'd want to share, even um, things in Philadelphia you'd like to promote? Not necessarily a plugging session, we'll save that for the very end, <laughs> but uh, just things that you think are valuable you'd like to speak to? We covered a lot of ground, but I think a golden nugget that you reminded me of during this was Uncle Bobby's Cafe, so I think just supporting more black businesses small creatives local businesses that's what i would like to promote uncle bobby's is definitely one of my favorite spots in the city we call that the black starbucks i go there get some coffee read some books but also i feel like it's just an inspiring space to be around other creatives and me and my friends have made million dollar moves in that space because you just you feel it everyone's around everyone around you is just so positive and you know free-flowing so i definitely would like to plug that but just supporting any local creators uh, from the city, 
anybody that's working towards something, just placing the focus back on them. Just do your due diligence in terms of the research. Like, of course, we all have brands for almost everything that we would like to purchase. Like, if I want a jacket, I know off the top of the head, North Face, or if I want lotion, Johnson & Johnson. But just being intentional about the small creators, the, the black creators, or the people from our respective communities just shining the light on them, supporting the local mom and pop shop, especially in this time period where a lot of small businesses are trying to rebuild and recover, but also stay afloat. I think that's all I would plug is just people being and just placing a focus on uh, supporting our small businesses. Once again, it's like the exposure, right? You're taking a part in exposing the business of small businesses. Mm -hmm. At the same time, it's a mutually beneficial relationship mm -hmm. because one of my favorite things about doing this podcast sessions is I am ex getting exposed to other people with similar values like mm -hmm. you are, Monte. I'm getting exposed to a lot of things I learned about, about the techniques, the persistence you use to seek out mentorship right. because I'm still in the process of seeking out mentorship that I seem fit mm -hmm. to my life. You never know what type of amazing and potentially life-changing exposure slash story you'll come across mm -hmm. by going to like a small cafe Maybe speak to the owner. I'm sure the owner has a vast, amazing array of experience, exposure, stories that no one else has experienced because everyone is extremely unique and everyone has some sort of a unique standing on, right. on this world with their own unique stories and circumstances and exposure. So by supporting these businesses, of course, we should support them for the sake of supporting. But at the same time, don't forget and negate the additional serendipity or other benefits that you may also experience. Right. You may find your mentor or you may find the girl of your dream. I think we shouldn't definitely underestimate the power of serendipity and just invite and create this self-generated exposure onto mm -hmm. us and onto the other people. Okay. And self-generated sustainability in a lot of ways, like the idea of voting with your dollar, right? So spending money where you want those places to succeed, where you want to even if you only have one vote in, say, a legislative action, you have numerous, numerous votes in where you're spending your money every day, what businesses you want to succeed, mm -hmm. what align with your personal values, right? And I think that's something that sometimes you can get swept into what's convenient or what's cheapest, but that's something I constantly am trying to remind myself of, like, voting for the companies that I think are going to bring the most good for the world in yeah. the long term which I think a lot of local businesses, we want a thriving local community. Right. Can't be more important. Yeah. Shout out to Ben & Jerry's. I don't know if y'all <laughs> been keeping up with their social media platform, but Ben & Jerry's has been like phenomenal in terms of just spitting out facts and taking a strong stance and standing with the black community. So if y'all haven't seen it, check it out. I think it's admirable. You saying I need an ice cream bender tonight? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so with that, I do have a question for you since uh, when I examine and when I hear about your stories and your upcoming, there's a quite a few important life-changing moments mm -hmm. or momentum, but I think one really changing factor was mentorship. Yeah. So if you were to become a mentor, whether with your project Pledge Philly or other initiatives that you've taken upon, your ethos is to give back, yeah. right? So if you were to be in charge of like a mentorship program, mm -hmm. Maybe what are the, some of the advices you give out to maybe your younger self or other black youth out there? Aside from a lot of the stuff that I said, I would just say don't be afraid. A lot of the things that stifle us as humans from progressing is it all stems from fear and just fear of the unknown, like fear of failure, fear of being seen as stupid, fear of being exposed. So I would tell them to acquaint themselves with that feeling 
as early as possible. The feeling of being afraid or from that failure, that's where your insight and that's where your perspective is drawn. And ultimately, that perspective will dictate how you respond to future situations, but also it enhances your outlook on life forever. So to acquaint themselves with the feeling of trying new things, meeting new people, making mistakes, failing along the way, just get accustomed to that, that uncomfortable feeling, that distress, building up your distress tolerance. I think that's an underrated feature of, you know, getting through life. Yeah, thanks for sharing, man. That's really inspiring advice that everybody needs to hear. So as we're coming to a close, we really want to acknowledge you for the courage and the perspective that you brought to this conversation. It's really evident how hard you've worked in your journey, and it's Mm -hmm. inspiring to anyone and everyone. So we'd like to leave you with a question. What would you inspire or what would you encourage other people to discover more about? I would challenge people to discover more about their ancestral roots, but also placing a focus on the historical context of this country. I think now more than ever, that's like super important to just revisit how we got to this point. Yeah, I just feel like that that historical and that social context will improve the condition of where we are today, but also change the perspective of a lot of people and how they choose to live their life on a daily basis. So in addition to just tracing back your ancestral roots, just learning more about yourself and more about your family. I think that's all very important. Yeah, well, thank you very much for being here with us. It's an absolute pleasure. Would you like to share with listeners how they can connect with you? Uh, Everyone could connect with me through Twitter and Instagram at MonteF underscore. My Instagram for our nonprofit, Project Pledge Philly, could be found at at IPledgePHL. And my YouTube channel is my funny nickname that my friends call me, Tayloso, T-A-Y-L-O-S-O, where I do education, but also some entertainment content. I try to do vlogs in my life and just share my postgraduate journey. And we will insert all those details and all those tags in the show episode notes so that everyone could seek out our free information. And to all the listeners out there, we appreciate you if you have made it to this far, and we urge you to check out part one of this episode series with Monte. In our part one, we talked a lot more in depth about the Black Lives Matter issues and everything that's going on in the current climate. And we definitely have a lot of extremely thought-provoking, difficult, and challenging conversation among three of us. So we strongly, strongly recommend you to check out the part one uh, before you uh, proceed with this part two of this conversation. But with that, uh, thank you so much for listening. Until next time. Thank you for listening to another episode of Discover More. We release a new episode every Monday on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. And would really appreciate if you have subscribed and shared this with your friends. We hope you enjoyed this episode and join us next week in the journey of discovering more through intentional dialogues.